This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Well, welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today, Chris Clark. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey. But before we find out what you're actually doing today, could you tell us what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, that's easy. Uh, professional baseball player. Ah, I get a lot of those. <laughs> how far did you go on that path? Pretty far. I played baseball since I can remember and traveled all over the United States playing as a kid all the way up through high school and I played at De La Salle High School and then when I went to college I decided to to hang up the cleats and and take up water skiing as my collegiate sport so I said uh, farewell to to baseball at that point but it's still a big part of my life I'm still really passionate about the sport all right well what was one of your first jobs you know one of the jobs where you got a w-2 you got a paycheck you felt like you had some type of responsibility um, my first job was at Pacific Sunwear. I wanted to work at a skate shop, surf shop, and be around that. So I applied to a couple, and Pacific Sunwear was the first one I heard from. So I, I signed up. So my first job was in retail. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. That that had to be a fun job. That's your first job, I would imagine. Yeah, it was cool. I was really obsessed with shoes at the time, um, skate <laughs> shoes, and particularly the the brand Etnies. So I... Um, I set some pretty high standards for shoe sales just because I was really into it. So I could I could sell anyone a pair of Etnies when they walked in. That was uh that was pretty fun for a little bit. And then and then retail gets to be retail and you move on. So were Vans popular at that time or no? Yeah, I think Vans have always been popular, but um at the time Etnies was a brand that for whatever reason I was drawn to the the branding and kind of the the marketing and advertising they were doing and um, the look of the shoe I just really liked that um, so I gravitated towards that brand oh that's cool that's really cool well if you would could you tell us what do you do today I've always been an entrepreneur so I um, started my own company a few years back and grew, grew that to a really nice size um, and then started building uh, brands with other people as well. So right now I'm creative marketing professional. I, I do a lot of brand consulting. I do a lot of uh, brand activations, um, experiential marketing for, for brands, and then also any brands that are looking to find relevance in the action sports or outdoor lifestyle space. I kind of help navigate that with them and, and uh, for them. So mostly creative marketing, uh, brand marketing and uh, get to work with a, a number of different brands now, which is great. So it's really exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. And it seems like you had to have a lot of different types of experience to get to that point. So if you would kind of walk us through that time selling shoes or retail, your retail experience to today. So kind of like a little journey along your career path. I moved from Northern California to San Diego for school. And uh, right out of school, I had a pretty successful water skiing career, won a national championship my senior year in water skiing and immediately got recruited to start a water ski team at the University of Oregon. So I went and spent about six months in Oregon, a full season starting the team, training the team, um, putting together all the the policies and everything. Uh, Had a great year up there, but the weather was a little bit 
much for me. So <laughs> right. I, I, I went from there and lived in Mexico for a year studying Spanish and traveling around. Um, I've always I've done a lot of traveling for surf throughout Central America and Mexico and, and felt like it would be really beneficial to learn the language. And so I, I took about a year to go down and just immerse myself in the culture. And when I came back to San Diego after that, I did a lot of different things, but mostly in, in marketing. And um, at the time, I was shaping and designing surfboards. And that was my first entrepreneurial venture was starting a surfboard company and surf brand that uh, I, I scaled to about three different countries, four different countries and seven, seven brick-and-mortar locations and an apparel brand that had global distribution as well. Now, what's the brand? The brand is called Shaper, so that's what we call a surfboard builder or surfboard designer is called a Shaper. So the brand was called Shaper or is called Shaper. It still exists today. Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to the, the history and roots of surfboard design from the early days up to, to modern surfcraft, and we are a studio that teaches people how to build their own surfboards. So it's a do-it-yourself surfboard workshop. Wow, so just digging into that a little bit, you're obviously big into surfing, and you started creating your own boards, and you started selling your own boards, so a little bit of that retail background helped you out there, I would imagine. And then is that where you started learning the marketing aspect of it? Because you had to market your own boards and get them out there, right? Yeah, I think it was... uh... Um, it was pretty organic for me, so I was really interested. I was always into creating and building, from you know designing stuff all the way to making things with my own hands. And and I I grew up in the East Bay, of San Francisco Bay Area, where it's, it wasn't really surf friendly. So when I moved to San Diego, I was really excited to immerse myself into surfing and surf culture, and had it, just a random opportunity to build a surfboard. And, and at the time, there there was no opportunities to learn how to build a surfboard. And I was really lucky that I got that opportunity. And so I had these two things that I really loved working with my hands and the sport that I was super passionate about putting those two together. It, it just kind of blew my mind. And so I, I kept doing it and all of a sudden, you know, it goes from your brother wanting a board and your family members and extended family members and then their friends want boards. And all of a sudden you have this surf company that you didn't have any intention of starting. <laughs> right. Um, so that, that's how it started. And then uh, a quick, you know, about five, six years into this kind of hobby uh, journey, I kind of thought of this as I, I was a lucky one that had this opportunity to shape. But what about every other surfer that's always dreamed of building their own board? There was no opportunity for them. So I designed a, uh, a business plan while I was getting my MBA. You know, all these classes you have to take on statistics and accounting and finance and uh, how to create a business. And so I just used all the, the classroom time during my MBA to build out a business plan for um, something that hadn't been done before, which was this uh, do-it-yourself surfboard workshop. So now we, we provide the studio space, the rooms, the tools, the templates, the materials, the instructors, and you can walk in off the beach and you can now have access to shape your own surfboard. And so that was that was kind of how it organically grew into to the business that it ended up becoming. Um, and now, like I said, in, in various countries and with a, a clothing apparel brand attached to it. So yeah, the marketing and all of the branding expertise came out of my own creativity, what I wanted to do, but then also having the business backbone to 
to share that with as many people as possible. And then obviously at the end of the day, make a little bit of money um, and provide a, a career. So, Wow. Okay. That's an amazing journey just in that. So what did you do afterwards? <laughs> I mean, that's creating your own business. I mean, it was organic, yeah. which is really cool. You tied it into your passion, which was really two passions, which was really neat. So where did it go after that? Yeah, great question. So I ended up licensing the business to several partners um, in different locations. Um, so they own and operate the business under the brand that I created. So I, I own the license and I license it out. And I, I still oversee the global intellectual property. So any sort of trademarks are our know-how and, and what the business model is. And so we continue to expand that. And there's some, some pretty cool opportunities coming up in the surf industry that, that we're excited about being um as the business evolved how can we how can we create something interesting for the future and so I, i'm still involved in that very very little because it's it's running on its own and so then i kind of take that and uh, i take all my expertise and all of my learnings from that experience and i share it with other brands and that's how i that's how i make a living today is is um working with with brands to tell their story and create something new and unique from an entrepreneurial lens so there's a lot of uh, brands that have been around for a long time and they're trying to reinvent themselves or stay relevant. Um, I, I kind of guide and, and help with that process. Wow, that's really, really cool. So you took all your learnings from building this brand up out of nothing, you know, shaping your own surfboards to a, a business that you're able to license out and still be involved with today. So that's really cool. And now you're leveraging that as an entrepreneur, kind of like a consultant, correct? Yeah, so I do brand consulting, uh, marketing consulting. I I have a unique approach in that I I also have some agency experience as well. So as I was licensing the brand out, I, it freed up a lot of my time, and a, a few friends were running creative agencies. So I had I, I went for the last year and a half in in house at creative agencies, from video production to full service creative, and doing a lot of content creation and bringing a lot of the brands that I had met over the years into the agency model. And then leaving the agency model, I essentially do the same thing, but independently. So I, I can come in for a contract of three months if, if that's what the brand needs. It's like a three-month autopsy of where, where, what are marketing channels? How do we communicate our marketing message? How do we tell our story? What's the most effective way? And with my MBA, I can also look at, at the marketing spend and the marketing budget and figure out where to allocate resources and what's going to do well to produce an ROI for that brand. And so that's that's kind of how I transition out of all my experience into what I currently do. Sounds like you don't have a typical nine to five Monday through Friday job. So what is your typical work week like? Yeah, it's really all over the place. I, I love to travel. My wife and my two kids, we, we have a flexible schedule. We're able to, to work anywhere. We spent 12 days in, in Japan earlier this summer. She worked the first week. I worked the second week doing business internationally. So it's really cool to be able to pick up and move and, you know, pick up work wherever. It's, it's not a steady thing. I always have to be looking for the next opportunity. The flexibility is, is the big payoff and us being able to, to work any, anywhere from anywhere is really, really nice. Yeah. Well, if you're ever in Surf City, Cincinnati, you just look me up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're working on a, a, a project in Columbus right now. It's a multi-sport facility that'll have a surf pool so you can actually surf. Oh, that would be awesome. 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. So that, that's kind of what I was talking about. The next opportunity in surfing is, is wave pool technology and being able to bring surfing away from just the coastal areas inland and be able to, to share surfing with a lot more people. You know, it's interesting because one of the things we have here is the top golf, which brought golf you know, into a much more accessible environment where kids and anybody can play. You don't have to have all this experience and stuff. And it kind of sounds like you're trying to do the same for surfing off the coast, like you said, but where I might try it, where, you know, I've never tried it before. So that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. It's going to be really, really nice because the industry has been limited in, in who the participants can be and who the consumer can be. And now with full technology, maybe the next great surf brand comes from, texas or oklahoma or you know who knows where because right. they're going to have access to surf and learn how to surf right no that's a great idea as a reminder you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org and if you're an educator or a student you can search for podcasts by career cluster to ensure this podcast continues to grow please subscribe and share through your favorite podcast providers like apple Podcasts and google play so chris we just learned what you wanted to be when you grew up which was a pro baseball player and what you actually do today. So looking back, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Ooh, that's tough. I mean, there's a on the entrepreneurial journey, you have really high highs and really low lows and you make a lot of mistakes and it it's like your your second MBA is starting your own business. So there's a lot of mistakes I made along the way on my first business, but I, I don't, you know, like I said, I, I got a, a second degree in um in business. So I, I really don't regret the road that I've been down. I think it, as far as what I might've done differently, I might've in college in undergrad, especially I chose my specialty in business school to be marketing, which was something I was already pretty naturally good at. And I figured, Oh, that's the, that's easy. I, I would like enjoy these classes and I, I'll, I'll pass them with flying colors. But what I sh- maybe should have done is done more finance. Um, mm-hmm. instead to work on something that was a weaker side of business for me, which I ended up using a ton more in starting my own business, raising capital, licensing, and, and putting together pro formas and financial statements. And I still do a ton of that today. It would have made my road easier as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, if I would have balanced out some of my weaknesses, I like can prove some of my weaknesses and that would have been through finance. So that's one thing that I, I always look back on and say, I should have taken more finance classes in undergrad. It would have helped with my, my own business. And then also my MBA experience, which is an MBA is very numbers heavy as well. So um, all that would have been easier. Now, that being said, I'm a strength finders person. So I like to, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't work on my weaknesses every day. That's not something that I try to improve my strength, deploy my strengths when I work with clients. I don't try to do something that I'm not that good at or jump into a, an area of business that I'm not really good at. I, I, do, I do business and I, I will find the most success in doing things that I'm gifted at and naturally good at. So I, I hone my strengths. Right. No, that's a great point. And I love the fact you said you realize what your weakness was. Now you're looking back on it. But for those of you that are in school right now and you realize the same kind of situation or I could use a little more work in X, you know, it might be the time to address it now. So it helps you out in the future. That's great advice. Now, what advice would you give someone who wants to do what you do to be an entrepreneur, I guess, would be the best way to look at it? Yeah, so I teach entrepreneurship at San Diego State in their sports MBA program. And the one thing that I say to the student is there's also this other thing called intrapreneurship, um, which Mm. means internally at an organization, you can also be entrepreneurial. So 
whether you you don't have to start your own company to be an entrepreneur you can use the pillars of entrepreneurship and the pillars of creativity and thinking about things differently inside of an organization in your nine to five or wherever you're working you can still be an entrepreneur and i think that a lot of people miss that and entrepreneurship is scary to a lot of people a lot of new startup companies tech companies they have full teams internally that are devoted to just coming up with new rad ideas and they really encourage uh, entrepreneurship internally, which the, the, the term is called intrapreneurship. Yeah, that's that's something that I, I would definitely love people to, to dive into and, and scratch that itch. Yeah. And it, as I'm finding out with this podcast, the traditional job descriptions are being blurred, you know, because you really need to go out and do more than, than than's been done in the past and be more creative, come up with great ideas. And I love that. That's the first time I've heard that phrase or that wording. It makes a lot of sense, though, because in your traditional companies, you know, you have your whatever your sales manager that becomes a district manager that becomes a regional director that you know it's very structured and almost too structured whereas if you're in one of those roles and you see an opportunity that would really grow the company and grow your own development you know take that kind of entrepreneur uh attitude towards it and uh, you could create your own role that's a great great way to look at it absolutely and and also when you're applying to jobs or a lot of times we say like we don't like to hire somebody that hasn't really done it yet so uh, one thing in the sports mba a lot of the students do when they're going through the program is if they want to work for say the san diego padres they they do projects in class that they could then go to the padres and say look i analyzed all this data on concession sales and i thought that this might be something that you could deploy or this these analytics or this data could almost help your team do whatever and so they, they went ahead and like did the work before they had the job that sort of stuff is super impressive though my best hire i ever made was sitting uh, with us at a baseball game as a, a friend of a friend and he was like yeah I went to your website I saw uh, some stuff hadn't been updated and um, some there was some misspellings and stuff it looks like you kind of haven't really uh, focused on that side of the business how about I come in and do that for you and he basically revealed to us what our weakness was and, and said like I can I can do that like let me give me a shot at it and we we're like yeah, absolutely that sounds great ended up becoming a global vp of marketing with our company and traveling the world right out of college and all he did was put his, his foot forward and say like give me a shot let me do this for you i think people can be like very proactive when they go after what their what their dreams are yeah that's a great point i wrote that down do the work before you have the job gives you a much greater chance of getting the job that's a great great example there well cool well do you have any current projects you're working on that you would like to share i know you mentioned you know something maybe going up up in there columbus is there other stuff you'd like to mention yeah i just launched a new uh surfboard company surfboard project last weekend Uh, (laughs) wow hey this is breaking news yeah yeah i'm I'm always i always am doing something like entrepreneurial or my mind's always turning i I have like three or four more businesses that i just have on deck waiting for for the bandwidth of the right timing and um, i've been working on this project almost for 10 years in the background it's been my personal ambition to, to study asymmetrical surfboard design. Mm. And my mentor, Carl Ekstrom, patented the asymmetrical surfboard back in 1967. And he's been a mentor to me and kind of his approach to surfboard design has been my focus for, I 
been designing sports for 14 years now and about the last 10 years have been pretty focused on asymmetry and uh, about a year ago I got to shape board for Kelly Slater for those listening that don't know Kelly Slater is the, the greatest surfer to ever ever live um, the most successful surfer on the planet so that allowed me to work on a design that was extremely high performance uh, and so my approach is high performance asymmetry which nobody has really cracked the code on and so I spent the last year refining and refining that and uh, just launched the the design last weekend at an event so really excited for the next year to see how far i can take that project yeah and for our listeners subscribe to our newsletter which only comes out about every six weeks for updates and we will definitely have this one when it's launched that is amazingly cool i never thought about asymmetric surfboards but i just imagine you get that thing to work and that's a global brand right there that's amazing can you tell us the uh, brand name yet or is it still under wraps it's gonna be under my name uh so chris clark and all of it will break on instagram c clarky um is my instagram handle c c l a r k y and uh, everything is everything's there awesome that's awesome that's really great so you just took us on your career journey and like most journeys success relies on reliable transportation and we don't know each other but i'm a huge car enthusiast so for my benefit <laughs> could you tell me what was your first car my first car was a, a jeep was it a what year was it was a cj7 uh what year was the car i want to say 1998 jeep cherokee sport that's a great car for the beach right yeah uh, i i drove it from oakland to santa cruz on the weekends to surf so that was my <laughs> my first car well what's your dream car if you have one yeah my dream car is a woody station wagon are you serious what year i used to belong to the national woody club i i used to have a favorite but i i will kind of take whatever i can get at this point but yeah something from the 50s i, I used to be into the earlier or late, late 40s early 50s or any kind of 50s woody station wagon now I, I just saw a couple from the 60s that i really really like and the 60s is my favorite era of surfing so uh, my dream is to drop my son off at school in a woody station wagon uh he's, he's gonna start school in a couple years so <laughs> wow that is really amazing with some jobs one of the perks is having a company car so if i had all the money in the world i'd love to give you a cool company car and so ironically the car i picked out for you is a 1946 mercury woody wow <laughs> i'll take it. yeah it's not the 60s but this one's really cool because this is one of four and i'll send you a picture when this posts it's one of four that came from the factory with four by four off-road roading capability and um uh, Wow. Do you know the history of the Woodies and surfing? I mean, obviously, you know today's history, but do you know where that kind of started? Where the Woody Wagon started or where the... The culture, the, the surf culture with the Woody Wagon. Ooh, where it penetrated into surf culture. It, it, the first the first that I remember seeing it is on covers of uh, Beach Boy albums. Yeah. When I did research on this, it basically came about because by the time surfing was taking off, the Woodies were like cheap, really cheap, you know, and they had room for your surfboards and you, you could sleep inside if you wanted to spend the night on the beach. And then the Beach Boys made it really popular with Surfing Safari. And they originally wrote it with a 33 panel truck. But Dean from Jan and Dean, who wrote Surf City, they changed it to a 34 wagon. And so that was the first mention of a Woody. Uh, they said 
I bought a 34 wagon and we call it a Woody. That was the first mention of a Woody in a surfing song by Jan and Dean, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so the one I, cool. yeah, so the one I would get you would be that one of four. That's a four by four. If I had all the money in the world. That's amazing. Well, I will take it whenever you have the money. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking us on your journey today. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you and your company and your asymmetric surfboard? I know you mentioned your Instagram handle. Yeah, I I, uh, I do everything through Instagram. So you can message me through my Instagram handle, C Clarky, C-C-L-A-R-K-Y, uh, all one word. And um, you can follow the asymmetrical journey on there. I'll, I'll release everything on on their photos and story and then you can direct message me through instagram awesome well thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today chris thanks so much for having me thank you for listening to learn from others where we help others succeed by sharing success where will our next adventure take us subscribe to find out if you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation contact greg through instagram at greg stanley lfo that's g-r-e-g-s-t-a-n-l-e-y lfo And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.